The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I have a feeling that this is going to be one for the ages here on 77 WABC. This is a show you're going to want to listen to in its entirety. By the way, one person that uh, does listen to this show in its entirety emails me every day a summary of his thoughts on every single segment of the show. No, that's great. That's fine. Let me take you back in time to 24 hours ago. A couple of things happened in the 1 a.m. hour yesterday. One, I talked about the congressional election in the 10th congressional district. And I talked about how even though Dan Goldman was opposed by 75% of the Democrats in his district, he's going to Congress. I talked about how some progressives are upset that you, Lynn New, may be running as the Working Families Party candidate. And I said the solution to both of these things, the so-called spoiler effect in the general election and someone that's opposed by three quarters of Democrats representing the Democratic Party in the general election is the same solution. Ranked choice voting. Now, what else happened in the one o'clock hour yesterday? Tom Likas, believe me, this is all going to tie together. Bear with me. Tom Likas was on and he was the biggest guy in terrestrial radio. One of the biggest guys anyway, other than Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Paul Harvey. There was Tom Likas. He talked about how these days he doesn't have a big audience, but he makes a lot of money because he has this cadre of people that subscribe to his podcast. So this guy that emails me every day, says of the segment that we did on Ranked Choice Voting, say no to RCV, say yes to a runoff and nonpartisan primary elections. All I'm thinking is this does away with one of the key benefits of Ranked Choice Voting, which is the sa- you save the cost of a second election. Then on the Tom Likas segment, he says, I can't imagine ever paying for a radio show or a podcast. And all I'm thinking is this guy wouldn't even pay for my show. If I had a subscription podcast, even though he listens to all four hours and takes the time to write a summary, the guy provided no evidence as to why ranked choice voting wouldn't be a better system than what they have now in the 10th Congressional District. And all I could think in reading this email is the same kind of person that would have no problem wasting taxpayer money on a second election is exactly the same kind of person that wouldn't pay for this show if it ever became a subscription-based podcast. I would hope that all of you would pay for this show if it was a subscription-based podcast. Now, there's no chance of that happening anytime soon because uh, our ownership here at WABC is committed to keeping our programming free, and I think that's a good thing. But if that day ever comes, I would hope that you would pay. And this guy doesn't want to pay. Well, I think that says a lot about the kinds of people that oppose ranked choice voting. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening on 77 WABC. We've got an action-packed hour. This hour, we're going to talk a little bit about space and a bunch of other fun subjects as well. You can call in at 800-848-WABC. I want to, again, briefly touch upon the case of fired police officer Sal Greco, a 14-year veteran of the NYPD who was fired largely for being friends with convicted felons, Roger Stone and Kristen Davis. Now, 
Uh, we covered this a little bit on the Cats at Night show here on 77 WABC yesterday. And a little bit before the show, uh, John reached out to me. John Katzmatidis reached out to me and asked me to come on with Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law professor for 50 years, one of the brightest legal minds in the entire country. I said, of course, absolutely. And these guys, the panel of folks on the Cats at Night show, asked Alan Dershowitz about Sal Greco's case. Here's a little bit of what he said. You don't punish an ex-felon by saying you can't have any friends after you've been rehabilitated. And you can't punish friends by saying you can't associate with somebody who's an ex-felon. Whether it raises the level of constitutionality, uh, it's a hard question. The case has never been presented before. I can see the arguments on both sides. I think the stronger argument is on the officer's side. I think it violates due process by creating a kind of guilt by association. That was in response to a question that I had asked about whether or not the NYPD prohibition on associating with ex-felons is overly broad, particularly in the case of people like Roger Stone who have been pardoned. Essentially, you heard what Alan said there. He did think it was overly broad, and he did think it was a double standard that Eric Adams, when he was a cop, had no problem being a paid bodyguard for Mike Tyson, who at that time was a convicted felon. I think Dershowitz is absolutely right. And a little bit later in the interview, and if we have time later, maybe we'll play this, but a little bit later in the interview, Dershowitz goes so far as to say that if, if that he hasn't read the whole lawsuit, but that if he were betting on who is in the right on that particular legal case, the NYPD or Sal Greco, he said he'd bet on Sal Greco. Now, when the most prominent constitutional scholar in the country says that he's betting on you instead of the NYPD, I think that's very telling. And I think it's yet more evidence that the NYPD was wrong to give Officer Greco the boot. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I have to tell you a story. I don't know where this story really fits in. It's a historical story. It's a great New York story. But it's a story of the man responsible, yes, the man, responsible for 80% of all bank robberies in the United States in the late 1800s. A total haul worth millions, all while living a strange double life. Now, if you look at the period between 1850 and 1920, there was all sorts of colorful criminals. You had Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, John Dillinger, Jesse James, all sorts of folks. But one guy who they really should make a movie about, who's been kind of forgotten by history, is George Leonidas Leslie. By day, he was a distinguished architect who hobnobbed with New York City's elite denizens. By night, he was one of history's most prolific bank robbers. Unlike other heisters of his time, Leslie's approach was academic rather than brutish. He would study the anatomy of locks. He would draft up blueprints of banks and invented mechanical safe-breaking devices. During his career, authorities estimate that his exploits accounted for 80% of all bank robberies in this country between 1869 and 1878. Altogether, he stole at least $7 million. That's about $200 million in today's money. Much of it pilfered from the bank vaults of America's wealthiest titans. The final bank heist he orchestrated is still to this day the largest in U.S. history. An astounding $81 million 
billion if you adjust it for inflation. By all accounts, he was bright, an upstanding businessman with a promising future in legitimate enterprises. But after his parents died, he had a sudden change of heart. In 1869, he sold the family home and his architecture firm and set off for New York City. Before leaving town, he explained his motive to friends. He wanted to pursue, quote, easy money. Once he got here, he wasted no time falling in with an impressive cast of characters. The creme de la creme of high society. And these folks saw him as a bon vivant of the highest order and accepted him with open arms. So what he would do was partner with this gang of criminals and build a small device tailor-made for each lock. He called it the Little Joker. He'd insert it behind the dial of the lock and use it to crack the code. He made the folks that carried out the robberies do nightly rehearsals for weeks using these replicas. And then they hit bank after bank after bank, and it was incredibly successful. Now, we don't exactly know how this came to an end, but chances are he had some sort of a falling out with the people he was partnering with to rob these banks, and he ended up murdered. I guess it goes to show sometimes crime, no matter how lucrative it is, really doesn't pay. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. One more hour to go. Don't even think of touching that radio dial. You, you know, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, I think he'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. I think we would get along. I really do. I like his energy. I like a lot of the things that he says. But he just keeps doing things that I find just to be completely absurd. Do you know what he's doing now? Have you heard about this? Mayor Eric Adams is now collecting headshots of potential city workers in what is a thinly veiled effort to to increase diversity. This is according to the political newspaper Politico New York. The mayor has requested city agencies provide photographs of potential hires to City Hall as candidates go through the interview process for city jobs, ranging from assistant commissioner to departmental press secretary. Now, a whole bunch of city officials anonymously told Politico that the request is clearly an effort to hire more diverse staffers. However, Mayor Adams maintains that it will merely help him recognize his employees in a sprawling city workforce. Give me a break. Give me a break. Does anybody believe that? We have to see the picture of the person that's applying to be the press secretary for XYZ agency so the mayor can recognize them when they... And he sees them around City Hall. This is absurd. This is absolutely absurd. Look, the mayor of New York City is black. The police commissioner is black. There's plenty of women in the leadership at City Hall. There's plenty of minorities in the leadership at City Hall. Instead of looking at photographs to make sure that you're getting people with the right skin pigmentation, how about you hire the most qualified people for all these jobs? This is ludicrous. Now, the majority of the people that spoke to Politico, they all wanted anonymity so they could speak freely. They said they supported a more diverse workforce, but they're worried that the practice is already causing the Adams administration to make hiring decisions with a greater emphasis on race and ethnicity than merit. Now, compounding the issue, nearly every official Politico spoke to also said the headshot request created another snag in this drawn-out hiring process, straying away from the mayor's signature motto of get stuff done at a time when city vacancies for jobs are unusually high. Right now, about 8% of municipal jobs were vacant as of April. Gee, instead of complaining about this, 
Maybe I ought to get my resume in order. Beam me up! Forget I said anything. Keep this between us. To be continued.